here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only. Plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. To the highway. In a brand new day. Hi everybody, welcome to Open the Voice Gate episode 35. I am Michael Spears. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. You can subscribe to us and all the other podcasts on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network on the podcast app of your choice. And it's been an interesting period for Dragon Gate since the last time we've recorded. Sadly, there was enough stuff that popped up that the Shingo Takagi exit in the Pac news isn't necessarily current and needs more time really to be to, to give it the justice it deserves. So on this episode, I'm going to be giving my reviews and thoughts on the very, very good Gate of Destiny show from the fourth. And another strong Corkin that I feel like is going to set us up for a, a great end of 2018 in Dragon Gate. So it's nice to at least in my opinion, to feel like that the promotion is ending 2018 on a good note. And then to finish up this episode, I'm going to do a little bit of a how-to guide to Dragon Gate, where I talk about the Dragon Gate network, if it's worth it or not worth it to subscribe, the kind of things that are on the network, things you should know about when you are signing up to the network and making a decision if you want to sign up to it. And then talking about just general Dragon Gate core concepts. But thank you all again for listening, and let's get into the show. Gated Destiny was on November 4th from Osaka. I caught it the evening of November 4th. It should be up on DG Network until the 11th, and then it'll go away for a month or longer if uh, Kobe World was any indication. And... The listed attendance was 3150, which was about where I was expecting, considering that New Japan ran Power Struggle the night before. I feel like that having 3150 there and after a day that New Japan does a full house supernova vacancy of 5441, that it's a positive sign for Dragon Gate. I won't pretend to say that this was a incredible box office performance, but this was somewhat in line with how Dangerous Gate went. And, you know, last year they built it as 55,500, and that was just complete made-up numbers. But 3150, and it was allowed 3150, 
Before getting into the matches themselves, overall, I really liked this show. It was one that the undercard was pretty much there, and up until the Triangle Gate, I was kind of just going, okay, the show's happening, the show's happening, and then with the Triangle Gate and then also with the Brave Gate, things really started to pick up, and I wouldn't put this show as a show better than a Dangerous Gate. I do think that it is much better than Gate of Origin, the Sendai show, but I put it probably about the same level as both uh, Dead or Alive or Kobe World of this year. I ended up having three matches at four stars or better and one that came close, so it's very hard for me to be negative about a show that had so many great matches. And starting with the uh, with the pre-show match, this was Join in Progress. It was Kness making his return with Problem Dragon, defeating Hollywood Soccer Chikawa and, Sta and Sachi Hoko Boy with Kness getting the Hakari Nawa in 3 minutes and 59 seconds over Sachi Hoko Boy. And this was joined, it felt like it was joined in progress or right after the bell rang. They did cut to the uh, commentary desk during the match, so I, I don't feel comfortable giving it a star rating knowing that we missed out on stuff. But to be honest, there really wasn't a whole lot to this match. There was a lot of Stalker in the match, and it wasn't really Stalker doing comedy stuff. It just was Stalker getting beat up a whole lot. Kness looked pretty solid in his return. It's always... I always say that with a little bit of trepidatiousness because he he often like gets injured and comes back and he looks pretty decent, pretty decent, and he inevitably gets injured again. I mean, this guy is barely holding it together, but it was nice seeing him on the show, even if it was in a match zero situation. The uh, true opener was Brother Yashi and Punch Tomonaga, along with Hyo Watanabe, going up against Ryo Saito, Don Fuji, and Gamma with... Uh, with Gamma defeating Hyo Watanabe in 8 minutes and 30 seconds with the messiest Sky Twister press I've ever seen in my life. And uh, this is my least favorite match of the show. I probably, it probably either would be that or the really weird Pac and Flamita matches. What matches I didn't like as much. But uh, this match kind of started a theme of the show, which was that a lot of dives and top rope moves came very close to disaster during the show, and there was two in this match alone that very easily could have injured someone. But uh, luckily, it seems that no one was injured. Nothing's really popped up today. But I'm also doing the show in what would be early on Monday in Japan, so nothing really has come out if anyone got hurt. But there were two instances that... Things almost got real bad, including Hyo Watanabe's moonsault, where Ryo Saito had up his knees, and it, Hyo Watanabe's face went right into the shins of Sairio, and that could have been real bad. And Gamma did a really bad Sky Twister press that landed completely onto Hyo Watanabe's legs, and it just it was not a great night for anyone at the office if you're coming off the top rope or doing a dive. Uh, other than that, the rest of the match was uh, 
pretty, uh, was, was okay. It, it was an opening match of Gamma in there. Gamma's not going to put forth any effort whatsoever. He did a grand total of three bumps, if you include the Sky Twister press and a slam of his. So, I mean, he wasn't bringing his working shoes out there. There was some fun with, there was some some fun with a Don Fuji and Hio Watanabe, though. That was kind of a bright point, but... It's really kind of a statement that Hyo's doing this opener with the uh, veterans and the guys that don't really want too much with, and and whereas like the other guys are either getting the Triangle Gate match or in Kenoman or in Kota Minoru's position, he is higher up the card than the guy he debuted almost two years after. So Hyo, I mean, it's kind of tough with him because he's just never put it together and. Seeing how this match went, I totally get the apprehension in pitting Kyo Watanabe in a more serious circumstance. Moving on, the next match was the Atomicos match featuring the Tri-Vanguard team of Kakatora, UT, Yosuke Santa Maria, and the aforementioned Kota Minonora versus the uh, the RED team of Ada, uh, Yazushi Kanda, Kazuma Sakamoto, and the debuting Daga. And... Uh, this ended up being a little bit of a longer match. It was 8 minutes and 22 seconds. It actually was short, notice a little bit shorter than the opener, but it felt longer because there was more going on to it, and there was less just old guys barely doing anything. And it, it's interesting to me that Minonora really was the focal point of this match. The Tri-Vanguard team, which has been kind of the glue of the promotion when it comes to being around the, the Triangle Gate picture, then dropping out, but kind of being still a united team. They've they've really been that since the split, and there wasn't really a whole lot of the uh, Tri-Vanguard team in this match, to be honest. Uh, I can't remember really anything Maria did other than a Sky Love, and UT was a little bit in there with Daga, and Kakatora and Daga had a little bit with it, but really the story of the match was... R.E.D. really giving a beating to Kota Minonora, and this was one of the big examples of me saying that Kota Minonora has something. I think he has the potential of really playing a solid face in peril, and I think that it's something that they've kind of grabbed onto, and it's a positive for him because he was really shaking in the last few performances that I've seen, but he held up his end of the bargain here, and the other person who was kind of new to this sort of match was Daga making his Dragon Gate debut. And I've seen plenty of Daga through Lucha Libre, and he is a uh, very interesting Mexican wrestler because he's not necessarily what you think of of as a luchador. He is someone that really more is strike and King's Road kind of influenced. And I think that it's something that's interesting to kind of come in and he definitely fits in a lot better as a member of red than kind of being unaffiliated slash with flamita like how bandito is but he uh, he fit in pretty well this really kind of was a showcase for him other than ada getting the the win on kota minonora with his murder super kick and the pace was good every it didn't overstay its welcome and this match was perfectly decent this match is the epitome of a Drillman's three. It was good. It got in and out. It was only eight minutes, and it didn't overstay its welcome. The next match is my match of the night. I holy, 
I came away with this match basically with my heart racing and tr- shouting in my house. It was the uh, Triangle Gate three-way match where the Triangle Gate champion team of Natural Vibes of KZ, Susumu Yokosuka, and Geeky Horiguchi face off against the Maximum team of Naruki Doi, Jace, Jason Lee, Kaio Ishida, and the Mochizuki Dojo team of Masasaki Mochizuki, Shun Skywalker, and Yuki Yoshioka, with the champions making their fifth defense, which is a tying defense for the most defenses in a reign. There are three other teams that have made five defenses before. The first one was the Blood Warriors team in 2010, where it was Shima, Dragon Kid, and Ricochet, right as Ricochet was really entering the promotion, and he was still really skinny and kind of as green as you could get within Dragon Gate. The uh, next team was the uh, World One International team of Masato Yoshino, Naruki Doi, and Pac, which this one's an interesting one because it had five defenses in 75 days, and they only uh, lost the championship because Pac, this was the... Uh, Tao Rang that Pac left the company with. So that one had five defenses. This is then later kind of the sneaky one and the one that a lot of people forget because they didn't do a whole lot during their title reign, even though they had the belt for the second longest period of time, was the Monster Express team of, of Akira Tozawa, Masato Yoshino, and T-Hawk, who they held the belts for 273 days, but it felt like there was a time period where they had like two defenses in a month and just kind of sat on it. But with this defense, this puts the Natural Vibes team of KZ, Ginky Horiguchi, and Susumu Yokosuka in the conversation as the, the most defending uh, Triangle Gate champions in one reign. And they're actually going to be making their next defense on Aisho and Nobioka versus Don Fuji, Gamma, and Ryo Saito. I don't think that show is televised. To be honest, that's... I think that is a show and a venue that usually gets a title match each year because they were friends with the former president, uh, Okamura. So I don't know if we're going to see much of it. There might be like a televised little clip somewhere about it, but it's that would be uh, Natural Vibes going for their potential record-breaking title defense. But the uh, eliminations went down as Ishida eliminated Yuki Yoshioka in 15 minutes and 15 seconds with a Tiger Suplex hold, and then KZ defended Ishida, defeated Ishida in 18 minutes and 58 seconds with the impact. And this match, I had it four and a half stars. I thought it was really incredible. I really loved how this became how last year with uh, Takahiro Yamamura, when he had the match with, with Big R Shimizu that went to a draw at a cork, and this one kind of was that match for Ishida. And it's interesting to me because Ishida was someone who initially everyone was a little bit higher on than Yamamura, even though Yamamura was more well thought of and kind of was positioned a little higher in the hierarchy. But then Ishida got injured and kind of, and for a while looked like who knew if he was going to come back with his neck injury. But this was a really... a special match <clears throat> and not just for Ishida it, I really felt that all of the people who have not really been in these kind of matches before like Jason Lee, Kaido Ishida, Shun Skywalker and Yuki Yoshioka they all upheld their end of the bargain and they they didn't look out of place it didn't seem like that they were 
in deep waters and we're just trying to just hold on to something. So I thought that was really encouraging to see these four kind of grab onto this kind of match, seeing especially as a Corkin coming up is kind of a four-way six-man. So it was really kind of good to, to see that. And I really enjoyed, there, there was one segment with Ishida and Mochizuki where they were doing a whole bunch of kicks and really, uh, I thought it was really, really cool. There was a there was a section where it was KZ just running roughshod on everyone. That was awesome. This was a max. I had another one of those dives that looked like that someone was about to bite it as uh, Skywalker did his uh, moonsault press to the outside. And, oh, God, it looked bad. And just another thing in that Shun Skywalker, I don't know if he's ever going to become the smoothest high flyer that they want him to be. He kind of reminds me, for better or worse, to Hayabusa, who you, you always watch Hayabusa thinking, oh, is something going to something bad or incredible is going to happen? And I kind of feel the same with uh, Shun Skywalker. And uh, really, this whole entire match was incredible. I it's one of my favorite Dragon Gate matches of the year. And really, but the things to really watch are like the last about eight minutes or so of the match when they really go into the final gear for the rest of it. You, you get a lot of great KZ. You get Ishida and KZ, who who pretty much solo did this final stretch. And it was really incredible. And Ishida did this really great Tiger suplex on Yoshioka. That was really great. And it this match, if you're someone who who is a little bit on the... Uh, you're, you're a little bit skeptical of Kaido Ishida. I would have to say go out of your way to watch this match it's again my match of the show and it was nice to see this kind of match for someone like Kaido Ishida and it's reassuring to see that Shun Skywalker has the potential to really become something special and Yuki Yoshioka I mean he's someone that's either been injured or not really put in these kind of scenarios and he was pretty solid himself so this this triangle gate match I went four and a half I've talked to others who are around this kind of range four and a quarter four and a half but incredible match and i can't speak any higher of it and after a match that had that high of highs here's a match that just felt incredibly weird this was the international dream match between Pac and flamita and it was just a very odd match to watch it had a very bad position as it was going on before intermission and after a Triangle Gate match that the crowd was incredibly into. And bless Pac's heart, he tried to do anything he could to get the crowd into Flamita, but they just weren't really buying it. And this was a match that was technically fine. It was incredibly slow. Pac won with the Black Arrow and... 17 minutes and 45 seconds which makes it the third longest match on the card and ugh, i it, it, it's something that really came very clear about flamita and i've talked to others and there, there there seems to be a big gap between flamita's perception in the company and how the fans view him and it's not I'm not saying this is disparage for me. I think he's a great wrestler. I've enjoyed him when I've seen him live. It's just the crowd, either with how the uh, 
his brave gate reign that that he never officially lost the match the belt ended but ever since then he's the the crowd's just very hesitant with him and it doesn't help that up until recently he would always come back to to challenge for the brave gate and just felt really really weird with that and especially with someone like bandito around now and Pac, who the crowd immediately knows what they have with them flamita's kind of there and i think that he's someone that at this time is at least from a crowd reaction standpoint this is nothing is about him as a wrestler i think from a crowd standpoint they seem to really only care about him when he's with other members of Tri Vanguard or in a match with Bandito. But this match kind of went on forever. It was fine. I went three and a quarter, but that was probably generous because I felt bad for them because the crowd like got into a couple spots into it, but there's just not a whole lot to to uh, talk about this match. It went on for a long time. The crowd finally got into it after uh, Flamita went for a top rope flam fly, but that was really the only reactions they got out of it was whenever a big move or sequence happened. And Pac again won with a black arrow, and that'll be important to talk about later. The Brave Gate match was Dragon Kid making his first defense of this reign against Bandito in 11 minutes and 17 seconds with the Dragon Rana. And I don't remember the last time he hit a Dragon Rana. I'm certain there's someone who can point to exactly what, what show and what match he did. But this match was very good. I think it was a little bit lower than the other title matches. I still had it at three and three quarters. And th- there was another one of the dives that someone almost bought it where Bandito nearly completely missed Dragon Kid with a Fosbury flop flip. And ugh, it was a tough match. It was a tough night out there if you're someone who was out there spotting guys or, a, or on the ring crew. And there really is an interesting contrast between him and uh, Bandito and Flamita because you had Flamita in with Pac who's still playing his his very good heel character but I mean heels really they either get silence or booze in Dragon Gate so it's hard to really get a crowd invested into it unless it's for a title match or unless it's someone who has a history there and then Bandito with Dragon Kid who the crowd was behind but as soon as bandito did something awesome they were with him too so it's an interesting contrast and it's actually i thought it was really kind of cool that considering this the big size difference between dragon kid and bandito i thought it was rather impressive the amount of chemistry they had i mean bandito was a great base for him i mean he took the dragon rana and made it look effortless i mean and he was willing to like take the bible and christo and all those so he looked it these two worked well together and it's something that you really see if dragon kid especially if someone like bandito and darkness dragon that they're able to find someone who he meshes with and this was definitely a, a match of his that he meshed with someone especially in comparison with ada which you know those who never really had chemistry and after the match there was more bullshit between the two of them but punch Monaga came out and defended him so i don't know what that's going to lead to again i'm doing this uh the the night of the show the night eastern standard time so there's no translations yet on iHeartDG about what that mic battle was but there was more of that after the match so a little discouraging to see 
Dragon Kid be kind of brought back down to Ada after he had a really good defense against Bandito. And you guys see him kind of turn back the clock and hit a Dragon Rana. And I thought this was a another out of the four title matches. Again, it's my least favorite, but that's not saying anything negative about it. Just because of how great the other title matches are. And Bandito, I don't know how much longer he really has in Dragon Gate. I know that there's going to always be a spot for him. I, I He's someone that seems to be very loyal to Flamita. So as long as Flamita's around, Bandito can potentially be as be around as well as just with bandito he's someone who kind of has the wrestling world in the palm of his hand now and i just can't necessarily see him being willing to come back to dragon gate so much when he could be doing shows in north america or europe but i hope he comes back i've really enjoyed it and i believe he all the uh, mexican guys are staying through final gate so we at least have another good tour with him the semi-main event was the Open the Twain Gate title match with Yamato and BB Hulk making their third defense of the title in 14 minutes and 11 seconds over the uh, red team of Big R Shimizu and Takashi Yoshida. And, and Yamato got the, win, the pin on Yoshida in 14 minutes and 11 seconds with the Frankensteiner of the Almighty. And boy, this match, I was t- live tweeting as I was watching this match, but... I'm someone that I, I've been critical of Yamato, specifically his singles matches, where it feels like that the first 10 minutes or so are, is just boring to me. I don't really find his his like grappling work anything special. But And then you have two guys on the other side, and Shimizu and Yoshida, who, you know, Shimizu has been a great tag team wrestler for the last few years now, and Yoshida's always been great in tag teams. He's just someone that, in singles matches, he's not good in. And you have Hulk, who's, bless his heart, Hulk's basically holding on for dear life. I mean, he's already made a reference that he thinks this is his last kind of run. But these four guys, they were able to nullify all the negatives that each of them had. And this match was only 14 minutes and 11 seconds, but it was an awesome 14 minutes and 11 seconds. It was pretty much high octane from the go. You had the big boy team, the RED team, kind of running a rough shot. And the big feeling I got in this match was how much Yama Hulk was just holding on for dear life. And it's something that's not that that's been an underlying theme of kind of this the tenure of this tag team was that it's uh, who knows how long. BB Hulk has as a top line wrestler left in his tank and this match was a match that you definitely got the fear of that and and that's also why you had a lot of Yamato kind of taking a lot of it and they uh, the two big boys were able to really really like kind of exert their wheel and just have like an endless gas tank and it's interesting to me how much great chemistry Shimizu has with Yamato like those two really work great together and that's something that I hope we get to see more of as as their careers go on. Like Shimizu had another great tag team match with these two at Kobe World. And, you know, I don't think we'll see Yamato or Hulk around challenging for the, the Dreamgate anytime soon. And Shimizu's kind of already had his title shot for the year, especially looking at how Final Gate's shaping up. So I hope that somehow Shimizu stays around the tag team title picture and you know, we could see more of him in these matches. And the pacing of this match was really, really great. You had 
the finishing stretch was incredible with Yoshida and uh, Yamato, where Yoshida went for the miss, got complete, got Yamato probably the most covered in misses I've ever seen anyone in my life, and then hit a really devastating looking Fire Thunder driver for a two count, and you, you had that Yamato was barely holding on, he was just grasping onto anything, and then got a desperation Frankensteiner the Almighty and got the pen, and it kind of came out of nowhere, but for how this match was set up and how it was worked, it was perfect. And I really, I really enjoyed this match. And I've been really enjoying this Yamahulk towel reign. I mean, Yamato needed something to do to just get him away from the Dreamgate picture after how long this last reign was. And Hulk is someone that, you know, after he got injured while holding the Dreamgate title, he's just not really been there. So seeing him in this in this role where he doesn't have to work the entire bit of the match and Yamato is, th- is there and this allows Yamato not to have his his exceedingly long and slow opening segments of a match, it's really exciting to see these two. And I'm really looking forward to see who they might defend against next. Like this, is the, this is the thing about the show. I, I just look at this show and think about how some of the shows were earlier this year and in 2017 and the tail end of 2016 and I watch a show like this, and it reminds me how much I enjoy Dragon Gate. And it really shows like how many, like you, you had some big step up performances by two young guys on this roster. You, you got a bunch of great gaijins that came in and have a good show. And then you had the Dragon Gate trademark of a multi a multi team tag match that knocked it out of the park. And then you had a a really strong stretch of title matches. And this is why I really want to see more out of Dragon Gate. And it makes me feel a little better about the company going forward. And it actually feels like that after they were treading water for so long that there feels like a direction with the company. And really the main event was something that kind of cemented to me that there was that there's a clear direction in the company. It's an exciting one and I can get behind. All right, let's get into the main event. It was Masato Yoshino defending the Open the Dreamgate title against Bing K. Yoshino made his fourth defense of the title in 25 minutes and 7 seconds with the Sol Naciente Kai. And this was a really interesting match. It was, it kind of was a match of, of three distinct segments. Two that I either liked or loved and one that I just just couldn't stand. And I, let's just get into it from the beginning. It had a really nice opening with, uh, with Yoshino taking it to Benkei and knowing that, okay... This is a guy who has what seems to be like an endless gas tank and he could throw me around, so I have to immediately start neutralizing parts of him. And he went after the hand, which makes sense with the Sol Naciente that he'd want to be able to start weakening the limbs and getting himself prepared for that. And it was a really kind of fun opening segment. There was the first real bit of R.E.D. uh, interference on the show, which was kind of surprising that for the, that three and a half hours in the show, there wasn't a whole lot of heel hijinks. So I was a little bit apprehensive of that, but it, it ended up working because it seemed like a Yoshino was trying to fight out of it and he was still able to get some on to Bing K. And then led into a segment that really took me out of the match and I was prepared to actually be really down on it. It was a, a segment that it felt like that this was going to be a lot like the match with... Uh, Takashi Yoshida and Sendai just reminded me a lot of that where it was Yoshino overcoming the odds Yoshino having to face against the heel stable and somehow valiantly getting beat up before he locks on the Sol Naciente Kai and don't get me wrong the ending 
did have him overcoming the odds and locking on the Solnaciente Kai, but the way that they did it in a way really cemented to me that Binkei now is a main event player. He's had two Dreamgate title matches in the same year. He's held the Twingate, and he really feels more of a uh, frontline player in RED than Ada does, than Shimizu really does. I mean, he really feels like someone that they can trust the that they could trust the company with. And he, between this and the Masaki Mochizuki match earlier this year, we, I now have no more concerns about him gassing out because how they were protecting him in matches where it would be a six or eight man tag and he might have four minutes really in the ring. This one was, again, 25 minutes and he didn't tire out. He didn't really show any awkwardness of that you would normally see with, with someone who is so young in the ring. And it was exciting. The, the, last, the, the moment that really kind of kicked this match into the gear that, that had me come along, come around to loving it, I went four stars flat on this match, was Yoshino went for the Sol Naciente, and Binkei the entire time was struggling and fighting out of it. Yoshino kind of made plays that he was trying to hook the leg to get the Kai locked in so he would be able to ground Benkei, but Benkei was trying to knee him out of it. He was trying to struggle his way out, and it ended up with him just lifting Yoshino up into the air, still holding onto his arms for the Sol Naciente, spinning him around and just letting go and letting him fly out of the way. And that kind of was the moment that the match kind of kicked into the final gear for the last eight to ten minutes of the match, and it's just the two of them really kind of throwing bombs. You, Yoshino was willing to fly around for him. He took a bunch of devastating looking German and half and and half German and half dragon suplexes and dragon suplexes and he was still like dishing it out who's still trying to clothesline him and go for the go for the Torbellino and all of those so it was really something special for like the second time he kicked out of the Bing K bomb which the the RED side was just scrambling around trying to argue with the referee Mr. Nakagawa and it was really kind of great and that was when Maxim came over and kind of just held them back trying not to let any more hijinks happen in this match and after a while of them just throwing bombs and it looked like that Yoshino was just couldn't stand it he was able to finally get some uh, get some more lariats going he was and then he was able to set up a second Sol Naciente and it looked like that Benkei still was going to be able to fight out of it, but he he used his heel, he hooked in to Sol Naciente Kai and got the submission win. And this, this again, is a match that it, it had a good opening. The uh, middle part of it, I got kind of frustrated because I didn't want another one of the Yoshino overcomes the odds matches, which don't really play very well into his uh, wheelhouse. Like, this still was him overcoming the odds, but it was done in a way that wasn't insulting to my intelligence. And a really hot 8-10 to 10 minute stretch that ended the match. And it was a solid match. And again, this the show overall had four very good to great title matches, including one that's going to be up there for my personal match of the year list. And you cemented both Benkei and Kaido Ishida. You had one of the more fun tag team reigns continue. And you, had, you found someone in Bandito who you wouldn't necessarily think that Dragon Kid would have a whole lot of chemistry with, but he kind of came out here and had a tremendous match. So closing the book on Gate of Destiny, this was a great show. 
definitely a very encouraging sign from for Dragon Gate, both match-wise, storyline-wise, and adding in a third attendance-wise. And before I end this this wrap-up, I have to admit that one of my favorite moments of the show happened after the match. After Yoshino was awarded his belt and the dream key, Pac got into the ring. ring. And the way that he got into the ring and the crowd reacted really gave me the indication that this is where they're going to go to for Final Gate. And it was a really kind of cool moment. There was no word spoken, just the two of them staring down. Pac had his really sweet Black Arrow t-shirt on. And it was something that really let me know, okay, they know where they're going to where they're going from this and it's really exciting to see and i'm gonna be excited as in less than two days there will be the uh, corican with the four-way six-person tag and the debut of dragon dia and i'm excited to see those corican was on november 6th it was the opening night of the gate of evolution 2018 tour attendance was 1665 which was down from last month's show but that was also the Dragon Gate farewell for Shingo Takagi, so I'm not too surprised it was a little bit of a drop, but for 1665, it was a really, really loud crowd, and probably one of the more engaged Corican crowds I've seen in a while, and overall, I thought that this was really a watchable show, if not out, not outstanding. There was only one match that was really exceptional. The rest of the show flowed together and it was a very quick undercard. They did five matches pre-intermission, which made sense with the four-way trios match with it going almost 40 minutes. But overall, if you're going to watch something from the show, definitely take the hour to watch the main event. It was it, it was very good and Check out the debut of Dragon Daya. It was pretty interesting, but really, it was an easy watch. You can watch the entire show about three hours, two hours and 45 minutes if you cut out intermission. And if you were really judicious with your time, you could probably watch the bulk of it in about two hours. So the opener of the show was a... 10-person tag with Ryo Saito, Don Fuji, Gamma, Kaness, and Kaido Ishida going against Punch Tobinaga, Brother Yashi, Problem Dragon, Hollywood Saki Chikawa, and Bitman. Bitman is from the Hong Kong Wrestling Federation, the company that did the uh, joint shows with Dragon Gate throughout this year, and this was my first real chance to get a look at him, and we... I really couldn't tell actually how good he was. He really only came in for the final stretch. And for a match that only went 8 minutes and 17 seconds with Kness getting his second straight win since he returned with the Hikari Noa over Bitman, it just, you had a lot of people in here and a lot of it really was Punch Tomonaga getting beat down by the Sai Ryo side. Uh, Don Fuji was pretty good in it. There was a great kind of comedy stalker botch that went on with it. And we had a good amount of Kness in there as well. Actually, before the first before the match started, they had the first gong kid. And it was an adorable little kid who somehow said that Kness was his favorite wrestler. Which pretty much made Kness's day. And 
I give this match two and a half. It's really, it, if you like the people involved and you want to check out Bitman, it's worth watching. But again, not a whole lot of Bitman in there. And then after the match, Kness cut a promo saying that he was back from injury and he saw that there has been a lot of action in his time off and he was excited to take a bite out of everything. The second match was Misaki Mochizuki versus Kota Minenora. This one was a really quick one. It was 2 minutes and 29 seconds. Mochizuki beating Minenora with a Shinsaikyo high kick. And it was actually for a 2 minute and 30 second match. It was kind of interesting. Minenora started off by really slapping Mochizuki hard and then going for a rear naked choke. And then right after that, Mochizuki got his wits about him and just proceeded to kick the crap out of Minenora for the next minute. And Minenora got a couple kickouts over some like some of Mochizuki's just like average kicks, but he pretty much got knocked into Sunday with the Shin Saikyo high kick. And it was fun. I mean, two minutes and 30 seconds. Like when I said the Sunder card, they really got to intermission pretty quick. This is what I was talking about. And afterwards, Mochizuki uh, and Minenora talked a bit on the microphone where Minenora asked to join the dojo Mochizuki and Mochizuki of course had no problem with it other than why did he slap him before the match but Minenora said oh I was just trying to prove myself and I forgot that you could anyone's willing to come and go as they pleased with uh, dojo Mochizuki so Minenora joins the group of the other youngsters and it made sense i mean they've already are introducing more and more young guys on the show so you kind of already needed to do something with minanor especially since i mean he's been around since just before kobe world and he already has his tights and they're really trying to make a concerted effort with the dojo mochizuki to do something with it and especially with the younger guys Speaking of Dojo Mochizuki, the next match was a six-person tag between the Tri-Vanguard team of Kagatora, Yosuke, Santa Maria, and UT going against Shun Skywalker, Hio Watanabe, and Yuki Yoshioka. UT got the win in 10 minutes and 44 seconds with the Bien Yave on Yuki Yoshioka. And I like this. The crowd wasn't as much into it. Really, out of the matches pre-intermission, this was kind of the match where the crowd decided to kind of go quiet. It just seemed that they weren't as into the Dojo Mochizuki versus UT feud as I am. I really kind of like how this is developed. I gave this three stars. It had a bunch... Basically, the story of the match was that it was basically UT versus versus the Dojo for about 90% of the match. There was some... Kakatora and Maria in this, but really the story of the match was UT versus the younger trio. And my big takeaway was that for as kind of shaky at points as Hio Watanabe and Shun Skywalker were at Gate of Destiny, that they put in a pretty good performance on this night. And one thing that I noticed was that Shun, for a guy of his size who's supposed to be a flyer, it kind of feels like that I f- think his his that his future is better suited as a base. He based really well for the Tri Vanguard team when they needed him to, and he and especially if someone who's as lanky as him, it just like 
he's always kind of shaky as a flyer, but he, but for someone for his size, he's good at taking moves and helping out people do high flying moves. So I thought that was an interesting takeaway. And Shun had a couple of really good axe kicks UT that I thought that were really kind of special. Especially there was one where Hyo had had UT and the tarantula in a corner, and Shun just came in and completely decked him with an with a uh, bicycle kick. And I thought that was really good. And the finish was uh, UT and Yoshioka had a kind of prolonged a face off towards the end where ut went for a version of the bien yave that was uh more like how the la mystica happens where you go from a head scissors into the arm bar however it was the the spinning head scissors into the bien yave and i thought that was really kind of neat i i really enjoyed how ut has developed bien yave as his as his go-to hold and the idea now that he can go for the bien yave out of anywhere i think that's a nice little touch and after that that ut and dojo mochizuki continued their feud as shun kind of stepped up and said all right you've already taken out the other two now you gotta kind of have to go after the the uh, star rookie of the team shun and ut was more than happy to do this this kind of created a little bit of strife between the Dojo Mochizuki members as Yuki Yoshioka kind of stepped up and said, hey, why are you saying that you're the you're, you're the man at the front of the line here? I thought that this was like a, a unit of equals, and Mochizuki said that this is a unit of equals and this isn't a unit. So if you two kind of want to hash out your differences to see who is the best, the best youngster in Dojo Mochizuki, then have at it. But... They decided to set this match up for the December 4th cork and where we'll see UT and Shin Skywalker go on in a singles match. And I'm hyped for this. I think the the two really have some good chemistry here. And as Shun is developing as a base, I think that we could see some really kind of unique flying out of UT if he so chose. The fourth match was the Dragon Daya debut match where Dragon Kid and Dragon Daya went off against the red team of Ada and Yuzushi Kanda, where Yuzushi Kanda got the pin on Dragon Daya after 11 minutes and 20 seconds with the Ryus. And uh, this was not really my kind of match, to be honest. I-, I like the fact that this was a way of introducing Dragon Daya and, making him- and showing him that he's different from the other young roster members i'm just so tired of ada and dragon kid feud that it somewhat pulled me out of the match but really the story about this match to me is talking about dragon daya and i thought that he has something different from the other youngsters in the rosters he's more of a natural flyer than shin skywalker where he was able to do a standing shooting star press for a near fall and i feel like that that's something that they're going to really let develop his gear his his mask is a lot better than the mask he had at the october corkin where they announced his debut but his gear is bright pink and he has shorts that just are kind of like how kushida used to have his shorts in new japan and it's not necessarily the best look i feel like for him uh, there's been like questions going around about it who he is and if he's someone new and i think he is someone new if only because 
there wasn't anything recognizable about him or recognizable from another wrestler that could be him. I mean, Katsumi Takashida is only now in rehab, so I don't think they would come back for that, and he's much bigger than Dragon Daya. And we haven't seen much of Oji Shiba, so I mean, that's possible, but I don't think Oji Shiba really had the same moveset and skills in the ring as Dragon Daya did. I think that one of the nice things about Dragon Daya, at least going forward, for someone who is a rookie, he already has a good um he already has a good sense of how to kind of get sympathy on his side and he sells pretty well, which for a guy of his size, I think that's something pretty special. And the whole Ada and Dragon Kid feud continues and even during the main event when they had a huge crowd brawl to start the match ada who was not involved in the match he was just seconding the red team decided to go all the way up to the announcing booth where dragon kid was being color commentary and attack him there so that's going to continue and when we get into the main event i have something to talk about how i feel like that they're finally going to blow off this thing and Good rinse, they really need to. This The semi-main event and the uh, last match before intermission was this six-person tag who Case Lowe said that this is the most uh, extreme wrestling warfare match you could possibly have, and it really is. On one side, you had Bandito, Kai, and Hiroshi Yamato going against Takashi Yoshida, Kazuma Sakamoto, and Daga. And... Really, this if you're someone who woke up from a hyperbaric, from like a cryogenic freezer, and you saw this match, you'd be going, "What is going on here? This is not a match that I would think would be happening in Dragon Gate in 2018." But this is the world we're in now. So this was a match we had, and it's uh, it, it was good enough. It, out of every match on this undercard, this was the one match that didn't really have a purpose. This really was the, we're throwing everyone else who's on the roster or is freelance for us into a match and we're going to make this work. And because now RED has eight people in the unit, okay, these are the eight people in this match here. And it was, uh, it went only 10 minutes and 33 seconds. Bandito got the pin on Daga with his 21 suplex, which I guess is the name of his really neat rebound German suplex. So I got that out of the match. And really, the match itself, uh, this after Daga, I felt like had a interesting debut at Gate Destiny. He seemed like he was a little bit more shaky here. The, they had, uh, Daga had pretty good chemistry with Bandito early, but it got kind of messy towards the end where there was a deadlift section where he was where he was trying to impressively deadlift him, and he dropped him a couple times before getting him up and performing the deadlift move. But other than that, I thought this was actually for a real thrown-together match. I thought this was as good as one could expect. This is probably my favorite Kai match in Dragon Gate outside the one he had with Shingo at Dangerous Gate. Uh, Bandito, again, I he was the MVP of the match. This was clearly his highlight match. He had a really awesome torneo coming off the top and that was really kind of special and the finish the finishing stretch where he got the win here really kind of cemented that out of this this extreme wrestling warfare match 
he was the highlight there. And actually, for before moving on to the main event, as a, as thrown together of a match as there was, the Yoshida, Kazma, and Daga team were not that bad. They actually had some chemistry. So if this is going to be the undercard trios team for the rest of the tour, then I'm okay with it. So for a match that was really made by someone hanging the random button deciding, all right, this is what we're going to go with, this could have been a lot worse. And especially considering the parties involved, this is probably the best we could have expected out of it. The main event of Corkin was the four-way six-man tag team match. And it was between the Natural Vibes team of the Triangle Gate champions, KZ, Susumi Yokosuka, and Ginki Koriguchi versus the Maximum Trio of Naruki Doi, Masato Yoshino, and Jason Lee versus the Tri-Vanguard Trio of the Twin Gate champions, Yamato and BB Hulk, along with Fumita versus the R.E.D. Trio of Pac versus or Pac, Big R. Shimizu, and Benke. The overall match went 38 minutes and 8 seconds, which is one of the longer matches that Dragon Gate has had all year, but it makes sense when you have three falls in the match. The three falls were first, Flamita getting the flam fly on Ginky Horiguchi in 31 minutes and 50 seconds. The second fall was Big R. Shimizu, giving the shot put slam to BB Hulk at 34 minutes and 45 seconds. And the winning fall was Pac hitting the black arrow on Jason Lee at 38 minutes and 8 seconds. And I really like this match. I did not like it as much as the three-way triangle gate match at Gate of Destiny. But for a match this long, it kept my attention the entire duration, which is hard when you have a match that's approaching 40 minutes. There was a bunch of crowd brawling to start, and it really worked. I mean, you even had the fact that Ada went up there and attacked Dragon Kid. So that was that was really something that in Dragon Gate matches when they do the crowd brawling, it's usually just kind of there, and I'm just like, oh, okay, this has to happen, so let's just see how long it's going to take. But in this match, I really liked it. And considering how disappointing their match was at Gate of Destiny, I thought that Pac and Flamita really showed themselves well. Again, I think Flamita does best in these matches, and Pac was in a better position to have a better match where the crowd was much more invested in it. And actually, there was a really fun stretch early on the match with Jason Lee, Pac, Flamita, and KZ that I thought was a whole lot of fun. And this was a match that it's really hard to give blow-by-blow blow on a match like this. But other key moments for it were that there was a lot of playing up the interactions between the four teams or really the three face teams and the heel R.E.D. team, including Yoshino going for a sneak pinfall on Yamato after KZ, he did his slingshot senton into the ring. He dragged, the, he, he, I forget who he was going up against, but he dragged them over to Yamato to tempt it. I, I actually think it was Big R. Shimizu. And Yamato was like, uh, okay, I'll give it a chance. I'll give this a go. And he came down really hard and awkwardly on him, on his, uh, on his tailbone. And Yoshino ran in, grabbed Yamato, slammed him down, tried to go for a three count. And I thought that was really kind of interesting. Yamato actually had a pretty tough match. There was that where he hurt himself. And then the, uh, the, the typical speed muscle sequence where they go for, all these moves and it ends with the 
with the bulldog from Doi and the running sliding kick from Yoshino. He got hit really hard by Yoshino. He had a tough match. It was, if anyone really got the worst out of everything, it was how Yamato kept on getting to the bad end of it. And the, the crowd kind of was like noticing it and, and made a couple oohs when things happened poorly for Yamato. So poor Yamato in this match, but they made it work with him in there. There was a uh, getting towards like the half hour mark when they f- were gearing up for the final stretch. There was a really elongated dive sequence where you had a lot of uh, Topes. It, Tope Suicida, Tope Hello, you had Yoshino doing his corner, his corner moonsault to the outside, and then Pac made made it look like that he was going to end the sequence with a huge splash, but then he pulled up at the, like, the last moment and just completely gave a shed-eating grin saying he wasn't going to do it, and then Flamita, really frustrated with this in the crowd, starting to really get on Pac for it, decided to attack him took him up to the top rope and did a really insane slam fly to the outside, which which ruled. And that really was when they kind of got into the final gear and they went for the finishing stretch. The first finishing stretch was between Fulmita and Genki. And this actually probably was some of my favorite work from Fulmita since he came back from AAA. So we're talking several years ago. Him and Genki Horiguchi had a great segment. They Genki went for the... Uh, Went for the uh, backslide from heaven. Flamita kicked out and went straight into the flam fly, which was really great. And then they had the uh, Shimizu Hulk final stretch. And I really like the chemistry that Shimizu and Hulk have had. We've now seen this dating back to to Kobe World Hall. So, I mean, over the last six six months, we've really seen this develop. And, of course, he has the really cool way of blocking the... uh, final flash with the uh, shot put slam but then but then there was a bunch of cross action with with big with big ben going on there and that before him before he hit the actual shot put slam on hulk and that was great and then the final stretch with Pac and jason lee was actually great like jason lee might have been the mvp of this match he had he was so good in the final stretch and he's someone that usually is the one taking falls in these main event trios matches, which is something to say how great Jason Lee has been in this role since he's come in the company. He, We've been talking about this for a long time, but Jason Lee really has been someone who's adapted to Dragon Gate. The crowd has got, it, got his style, and he's improved, and the crowd really invests in him. And he was going up against... Uh, he was going up against pretty much the whole entire red team, and it was tremendous and it ended with a and it ended with the black arrow and it was tremendous and the way that Pac conducts himself is really refreshing because after how the end of berserk was just kind of there and antios never got out of the gate having someone who understands like this is how i get the crowd to actually boo me and being so refreshing at it is great and Especially in contrast to the rest of R.E.D. Because you have Ada, who the crowd is just apathetic for. You have, you have Big R. Shimizu, who the crowd legitimately dislikes. And the rest of the unit, the crowd is just kind of, okay, your heels will boo occasionally. But Pac actually does things to get the crowd against him. And I love it so much. And the way that he, as soon as he hit the Black Arrow and penned him, he popped right up and started jaw jacking with the crowd i thought was tremendous and 
I gave this match four stars. This is definitely a match that requires time because 38 minutes is a long match outside of your New Japan IWGP heavyweight title matches. So the fact that this match was 38 minutes and it ended up being this good really shows, one, how great this this format is now they've brought it back and it actually has purpose rather than just being randomly on shows. And two, it shows how great these 12 wrestlers are together. You have people like Pac who hasn't done a match like this in a long time. Since he left Dragon Gate, he's not done a match like this. You have... You have Jason Lee, who's only really had opportunities to do these kind of matches recently. And then you have someone like KZ, who always comes into these matches. And now that he's even more of a focal point in the company, he's tremendous in it. And then you had Flamita, who's more in his element. And all 12 people worked really well in this match. And this is easily the match of the night. And pro and it ended up the aftermath of the match ended up being very important for how Dragon Gate's going to end up their year. Because after the main event, R.E.D. took the microphone. Shimizu first started by running down the other units, but then he noted that Pac had something to say, and Pac finally made his challenge, and he challenged Masato Yoshino for the Open the Dream Gate title, and that actually will be coming at the first Corkin of December as Dragon Gate has pretty much for the last four or five years had two Corkins in December. They have a Corkin that is at the beginning of the month, which is a more standard Corkin, and then the later Corkin is as we found it is the fan appreciation night and it's a lot more kind of jovial and that's where they usually have their unique random match that happens to main event the show. So this match will be happening at the at the December 4th Corican and I didn't realize this until I saw a tweet about it but Pac usually doesn't stick around for he doesn't stick around for the end of the year so that he's never had a final gate match so it makes sense that this match is happening at this Corican then at final gate so it's happening December 4th I'm really excited about it at at this point with how they're treating him and how Pac is really reignited some interest into Dragon Gate. I feel like that at this moment, I'm about 50-50 about this title match with Pac or Yoshino retaining. I feel like that if Pac is really going to stick around into 2019 and and all the indications are that he is, then he seems to be the hot hand and it is a case where Yoshino really does not have very many defenses left on this title reign. I mean, he could dip into having some more old-timers as his early 2019 title offenses. I mean, he probably wouldn't face Mochizuki, but Susumu's always good for challenge. You could have Ryo Saito in there. So, I mean, you have people like that that could be in the mix. And then, really outside of that, I mean, you could have KZ get a title shot at the early... 2019 cork in or at champion gate i feel like that that's possible but but i mean ada is not going to be in a position for that and outside of those you really i don't think they're gonna give yamato a title shot anytime soon and i don't think that bb hulk's health's up for that kind of match so it just seems like to me that i'm actually talking myself to think that it's 60 40 Pac winning this match but 
I'm really excited about it, but that's not the only thing that they announced for the December Corkins, as with Yoshino really kind of prodding Naruki Doi, he finally got Naruki Doi to agree, and the Doi Darts match will be coming for the second Corkin of December, and the Doi Darts draw, which is one of the best moments of the Dragon Gate year, will be happening after the Dream Gate match. So that's something really look forward to. We already have two matches signed for this Corkin with the Dreamgate match and the Shun Skywalker versus UT match. And just those two matches alone get me really excited about Corkin going forward. And again, I thought this was a very watchable Corkin. Everything made a lot of sense outside of the uh, thrown together semi main event. And the undercard was very quick, very watchable. Not great, but nothing really. St- stood around to suck the uh, excitement out of Cork and Hall. You got to see the progression of Dojo Mochizuki. You got to see Kness's return to Cork and Hall. And you got to see the Dragon Dia debut. And of course, the whole show was capped by a really great four-way, four-way trios match. So I was pretty happy about this Cork and Hall show. I think it, I didn't, like it as much as Gated Destiny, but I feel like that it would be a bad statement if I liked a Cork and Hall show more than what I thought is one of the top three Dragon Gate shows of the year. Before closing out this episode, I wanted to kind of do a audio beginner's guide to Dragon Gate in a way to both explain the promotion and show how it's best to follow it. As there's been more interest lately, Due to the return of Pac and Shingo Takagi's exit, I originally wanted to do this last month, but real life had its way of kind of fouling that all up. But before I had to take a break, I sent out a whole, I sent out a Twitter, just Twitter question to see what people would be interested in hearing about. And I got a lot of great responses. Some of them are a little bit better for a article. So I'm looking at doing something like that for Voices of Wrestling in particular, talking about Pac's return and going through the network and seeing what great Pac matches there are to kind of introduce him better to Western audiences who aren't familiar with the Pac that was in Dragon Gate. But the overwhelming kind of leader in questions throughout throughout tweets was, uh, how does the Dragon Gate network work and how should I show up? How should I sign up? Is it worth it for me, or should I, or is it one of the things that's just I can't rationally pay the money for it? And the way that it kind of comes to down to it is the main feature about the Dragon Gate Network that makes it different from all the other over-the-top services is that when they air a live show, it is only available for a week after airing. And the reasoning behind this is that both the network of the promotions partly owned by their TV network, Gaura, so they have other masters to take care of and they want to have the Infinity Television program still viewed, so they don't want to have every show up immediately, which is really, really frustrating. But the more you... But it's one of those things that it's been a problem with following Dragon Gate since its existence is how Gaura has kind of 
made it difficult for fans, and especially Western fans, to follow it since the beginning. So the fact that the Dragon Gate Network exists is a wonder in of itself. But the first consideration I think that one has to make before deciding to to subscribe to the network is, can I watch the shows within a week of them happening? And if the answer is yes, then cool. Then the Dragon Gate Network is for you. But if it's not, then there's then you're probably better off trying to find a different way of following Dragon Gate just because it's it, it's a very difficult service to rationalize. Hey, pay 1,500 yen each month for the service that I'm only watching shows a month later. And that's the other thing about the service is that when these live shows get pulled down, they go away for approximately 23 days, more or less, before they go back up as an infinity taping, which is their traditional television show. So the schedule really is a live show happens on day one. It stays on the Drangate Network as one of the lived or missed programmings for seven days. On day seven, it's pulled down, and then on day 30, it's brought back up. So if you keep, if you keep on thinking about that cycle, it will make a lot of sense. And it's a little different for big shows. They really haven't shown any indication of how long it is for your, for Dead or Alive, Kobe World, Dangerous Gate, Gate of Destiny, and Final Gate. It's, it, it, it seems like that they're doing it a bit longer of a time period, which is more annoying. But, the, but that's just kind of how they have set up this network. So the, the network is 1,500 yen, which is about $13 currently. So it's one of the more expensive networks, and what it offers other than live programming is that they have they've passed programming, which is that they've been once a month they put up a old show from uh, from the Torimon Gym days. They put up a what they call a Dragon Gate Studio show, which used to be two separate things. There used to be Prime Zone, which was kind of its own little Memphis style studio wrestling, and it was just had its own continuity. It was a lot more lighthearted. It was only an hour long. There weren't really very many serious matches, and nothing was happening within the continuity. It just kind of was just kind of a fun show for them to do. And then there's the Dragon Gate Next shows, which were a monthly show for the younger wrestlers to get more time. And it is a lot more how New Japan has the Lionsgate shows. So you would have shows that would have matches like okay. Hyo Watanabe is facing off against Ada in a singles match. Or you would have, that's where they would have the wrestlers, even before the debut, kind of have some matches on it. And they, there's other program that they have as well. On the main page, which I'm looking at right now, you have, you have like backstage interviews, which are just kind of a little bit of lighthearted programming. Like right now there is a digest of the upcoming... Dragon Gate Studio 70, which will be out on the 15th. There is a little clip that's previewing the, uh, Drun- the Dragon Gate Hong Kong shows. There's backstage promos with Pac and Natural Vibes. So they have things like that. But like the, the other kind of interesting thing they have is some of the shows that aren't even shown live on the network, they will have on after the fact, such as the Hong Kong shows that they had last month on the 22nd and 23rd they're going to be on the network and they 
posted shows like Geeky Horiguchi's Homecoming Show. So there's a lot of interesting programs like that that they have on it. And really the best way to get around the Dragon Gate Network site is the front page. Going from the top to the bottom, there's a rotating wheel that covers all the upcoming shows. It has in Japanese the live shows for this month. And then it has what shows they're putting up throughout the month. And then as you go down the, the show, the page, there are the news updates about when they basically have published uh, live shows and backstage stuff. One of the things they have is Yamato's Energetic Kitchen, which is a former Gaura short program that they're now putting up on the network. Because Yamato is a licensed and accredited chef in Japan. They do kind of a very short cooking show that's usually kind of funny to watch. I mean, it doesn't have subtitles on it, but I've always enjoyed it. But going down, you have the live and video on-demand feature. And this really is where about 90% of your Dragon Gate network usage will come out of. You can just click one of the uh, click one of the images, and it will either have the past shows, which will have how long they are up for. So looking at it right now, uh, Gate of Destiny from November 4th at Edeon Arena Osaka will be up until November 11th. And the Corkin show from the 6th will be up until November 13th. And then it also previews the fact that there's going to be a live show at Kobe Sambo Hall on the 23rd. And the first of three live shows at Hokkaido's Susukino Mars Gym. And then going on further down, there's a, there's a preview for the upcoming... Uh, Kobe Sambo Hall show since the next live show on the network and then continuing down the backstage interviews which are the uh, the notices of what shows are coming up and Pox uh, welcoming people to the Dragon Gate network, how to dance the natural vibes dance and then just the general previews they have coming up. Below that is tournament and series and that is the closest thing that I would describe as the archive feature on the network and it's a little complicated to navigate around. There is a another rotating header bar that has on it the 2018 Infinity Shows, the 2017 Infinity Shows, the Torimon Japan archive, the Dragon Gate Next archive, what they call the big match feature which is your traditional big shows for Dragon Gate, uh, all the Kobe worlds and so on and really the best really the best way to navigate that this category is by clicking the header icons for 2018 that's where they have the for 2018 that's where they have the infinity shows are usually your Korkins, your osakas your hakadas your hokkaidos and your kobe shows and then the 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 uh big match feature has currently on it it has Dead or Alive, it has the Dangerous Gate, and it has, right now, it has Gate of Destiny, which will get pulled down over the next few weeks. Still no Kobe World, which I think they have that in their Kobe World section. Let's see. It does take a little bit to load each time you, you pull it up. Yeah, they have Kobe World up in its own segment. Uh, for viewing the shows, th there isn't either uh, iTunes, Apple TV, or Chromecast, uh, Chromecast 
<clears throat> integration. What I've always had to do is I use Chromecast to stream things in my house, and I usually have it stream the window, and it's usually okay. Everything's 720p. There's times where the network gets kind of laggy and I have to come back later to watch it, which is annoying, but that's my workaround I usually use for it. And again, if you're someone who's able to devote the time to watch the live shows within a week of it coming up, I recommend it. It's a it's the best feature to directly support Dragon Gate as a Western fan. And to be honest, it... For a long time, it would just be waiting for episodes of Infinity to come out or having to navigate Nico Nico. But having this this now is a world of difference of how things were previously. And I've heard they're going to be doing more and more English integrated English integration coming forward. And even since the network launched in April, it's a lot easier to get around than it was then. Other things that were asked when I put out the call for questions were just overall Dragon Gate moments and things that people should know about if you're getting into the promotion. And one of the things that I was asked about from Nuclear Convoy was, how much do I need to care about past factions? It's super daunting. And really, at this point, there's not as much callbacks about past factions as there were. The, the big thing about factions are that you will have a bunch of face factions and then usually one heal faction. And the face factions at this time are Maximum, Natural Vibes, and uh, Tri Vanguard. And really, if you're trying to think about like what you need to know about past factions with these current ones, there's nothing to really know about Natural Vibes and their past factions. They do a dance like how Doofixer did, but it's been so long since Doofixer existed that fan that more recent fans aren't even aware of it and they just think of it as the dancing faction so really not a lot of history there tribe vanguard there's not as much history for this for this unit really when you're looking back through the uh, the history of dragon gate really it's just a face unit led by yamato and bb hulk and bb hulk's only really led a face unit before in dia hearts a couple years back and that that one was more in his image, but this one kind of is more in the image of Yamato, and this is his real first face unit he's had, so there's not really anything to go back on. However, Maximum does have some history to talk about, and really, all that history is is the backstory of Masato Yoshino and Naruki Doi. They've been kind of tied at the hip for, with each other basically since Blood Generation, and the the big thing to know there is there before this unit there were two other units that the two of them co-led that were variants of World One, so World One and World One International, and both of those units ended when Naruki Doi turned on Masato Yoshino, so that's why it was a big deal for Masato Yoshino at at Dangerous Gate to say, "What are we? Are you going to turn on me again? Everyone expects me to." That's really kind of the history of that. It's now kind of interesting with Pac back because Pac was a member of both World 1 and World 1 International. That's why on the 4th when on October 4th when he returned, there was a comment about he should have come back. The pe- person who should have brought him back were Doyoshi, not Ada. Heal units are a 
little bit more complicated to talk about because heal units don't typically lose disband matches. They kind of flow from one to the other. Kind of like how we saw at the end of last year how Berserk became Antios and then Antios became R.E.D. And there's usually not a huge character trait of them. Like I couldn't tell you what the character trait for Antios or R.E.D. was. There was a little bit of a character trait of Berserk in that they were supposed to be taking out the garbage and they were in Shingo Takagi's image. But there's really not a lot of backstory here. And then as I said before, there's not a whole lot of the backstory and past factions at this time. There might be some coming up if there's more interactions, but this is actually a pretty open time for Dragon Gate fans to care about that. Uh, a question from Tranquilo Dragon at Curtain Jerk SOB was, does one need to watch all the Rotu shows leading to a big show, and can we parachute on into a big show and get the storylines? Well, Dragon Gate doesn't really have Rotu shows in the way that New Japan does. It's that they have a rotation of about four places each month that they regularly go and take TV at. And those are the ones that usually push storylines. To be honest, Corkin's at the top. Then usually it's Koda, it's Koba, it's Kobe and Osaka and Hakata, and, uh, Hakata kind of on the same level. Usually, if there's a title switch, they more often happen at Hakata for some reason. If there's turns and and debuts, they usually happen at Kobe because that's seen as Dragon Gate's home ground. And then Osaka is just the second biggest city that they travel to normally. So that that's why those are the four shows. They're not really a row two format. Dragon Gate uses the tour system a lot more like how Noah and All Japan do. So there's not necessarily the lead up to the big shows, but can you parachute in? I think you can right now. Uh, for the the thing about Dragon Gate is that there's only five big shows each year, that and the rest of it are either medium range shows such as Champion Gate in March or Gate of Origin in September in Sendai, and. The big five shows, they will always have video packages that will run before the matches, or at least the title matches, that talk about the match and talk about like the backstory there. So if you really just were trying to watch the big stuff of the year, the big shows, you can watch them because they will have those they'll have those teaser videos. But really for me personally, I find it easy enough to keep up with programming, especially with that Dragon Gate runs. About 13 Corkins each year. There's two in December. And the five big shows. And then every, and then in months that aren't big shows, there are, you know, just the TV. And then there's the, the semi-big shows that you see in March and uh, in September. The, uh, a question that was asked that's actually kind of interesting was by, uh, was by, Goodbye, Love Thirty Five. And what was the Dragon Door offshoot? Why did it last long? Is it true that Kudabushi couldn't get an app into the promotion, so he said hell with it and set into DDT and got accepted by them? So this is a bit of Dragon Gate history that happened right at the split with Ultimo. So we're talking two thousand and four, and Dragon Door was kind of the. Uh, promotion that was developed from the Torimon X students. These are the ones that were the most recently debuted 
Toriyaman Gen students, and Ultimo. So this was everyone who did not go to Dragon Gate but was still in the Toriyaman system. A lot of them were younger wrestlers that weren't really as defined in Japan, and they weren't as accepted by the audiences. Toriyaman X is seen as the big failure of the Toriyaman Japan days because how rushed it was because Ultimo kind of knew that the split was happening. So it was really started by them. There were not very many Dragon Door shows. I believe it had they had six before they closed, and they closed because they were implicated in a scandal that was going on in the time of Japan that there was massive corruption from an internet company called Live Door, and they were the financial backers for Ultimo. And because of that, it closed down after that. After Dragon Door, you had El Dorado, which was a longer-lasting company, but the thing is that between each of these companies, as Torimon X became Dragon Door, which became El Dorado, which now kind of exists still nowadays as Secret Base, a lot less, a, a lot more wrestlers left each time. So Dragon Door had a bunch of guys that did not go on to El Dorado. El Dorado had a bunch of guys that went, did not go on to Secret Base because these promotions have become smaller and smaller as time's gone by. And the story about Kota Ibushi and Dragon Gate basically was that during the Toriyamon period, he sent in an application that didn't, that either didn't have his full resume or a headshot, and it was rejected. He still ended up appearing on some some Dragon Door shows, so still, so he still had a little bit of participation. But basically, as everyone kind of knows, uh, Kota Ibushi is a very special boy, and he wasn't able to submit things properly, and that's why he never was a member of Dragon System. He really wanted to be a member of Toriumon, but his own kind of failure was the reason for that. Uh, good, good, good night, love, pardon me. Also asked, on the, on the topic of offshoots, how did things such as DGUSA and DGUK became a thing? Why, are they, why aren't they around anymore, and, now, and it's now strictly Dragon Gate and... Drangate Next slash Drangate Studio. So, DG UK, I don't know as much about. I've talked to people about it before, but to be quite honest, it's not one of the programs I really watch a whole lot of, to be honest. Out of all the offshoots, I've not seen much of Drangate UK. It existed for several years, and to my knowledge, it really was something that was developed by the uh, British guys that were in Drangate at the time and a couple of promoters that. They had several shows a year, and then it just kind of petered out. Uh, DJ USA started because when Gabe Sapolsky got fired from Ring of Honor, he still had really good relations with Dragon Gate Office. There was just the there was just was drama between Ring of Honor and Dragon Gate, not really between Gabe. So he had a good contact there, and soon after, they Dragon Gate was interested in having more promoted shows in the United States because they saw how much interest they had in the WrestleMania shows and the success Shingo Takaki had in the United States. So it went on for several years. There was some... It it really was a case of it was overrun. It went from a promotion that ran three or four weekends a year, basically every four months there would be a show, to a show to a promotion that Gabe was this was Gabe's primary promotion, so he wanted to promote more and more. But Dragon Gate just wasn't it wasn't cost effective for Dragon Gate to constantly send people over to the United States when they were losing money because it was over promoted. And when 2014 happened, 
there was some drama in that there was issues with visas and there Gabe has claimed that it was a Dragon Gate issue. People have claimed other things that there was like that there's been bad communications, but by that time Dragon Gate USA was really a shell of itself and it was not really a promotion that was affiliated with Dragon Gate. It was really American guys and then maybe you would have one or two guys come over and it just naturally kind of petered off and then Gabe went on to really take the Evolve uh, company, which is something that he started promote as something to do while Dragon Gate USA shows weren't happening. And he focused all on that and that kind of led us into the last few years of Gabe before now. One question that was asked was how would I get how would I go about getting tickets to the show if they have an event around the time of Wrestle Kingdom? And bad news, they really they don't ever have shows around Wrestle Kingdom. It's just not how they promote. Each year usually starts in the middle of January. And that because of that, there's no shows really around Wrestle Kingdom. The shows always usually start around Kyoto and Osaka. So unless you're in that part of the country and you're staying that late you can't really plan on seeing a Dragon Gate show, sadly, during the time of, uh, during the, the, the time around Wrestle Kingdom. However, if you are interested in getting tickets, there is an email that you could send it to, and they would be able to take care of these inquiries. And I've sadly not been to Japan, so I've not used this service, but everyone who has used it has had no complaints. What you will do usually is, you would reserve your tickets and you pick them up at Corkin or wherever you would, wherever you want to go see the shows. And usually, for, from what I know, the Corkin sh- the Corkin seats are all generally in the same area each time. They're up in this, they're up, they're not on the floor. They're up the, uh, they're up into the seats a little bit. But I've heard nothing but great things about the the sightlines and that. And the email address you would you would send an email to is info at shop dash dg.com so info at shop dash dg.com and really this is the go-to for inter- for international fans if you want to get tickets if you're looking at buying merchandise i have bought merchandise through them and it's always been a pretty painless process and a i've always been very happy with it and to my knowledge they're starting to get a little bit more international help with the service so I'm looking up right now the other languages that they are willing to assist in. I, to my, I know that they they have people who do French and I believe Arabic, but there might be another one that I'm thinking of. But send an, an, an email to info at dry, at shop dot, oh, sorry info at shop dgcom and they'll take care of you there. The uh, last question that I really want to get to here was from. Nick H. at Illyrius, and it is, is there a key moment in modern Dragon Gate that needs to be known about, such as Tanahashi pulling New Japan out of the, the Dark Ages of the Rise of Okada, like that key story or time frame that's majorly important to consume? And that's a really good question, and a really kind of complicated one, because there are important moments, but the promotion is now so far away from those moments that it is kind of difficult to refer to them. If I was going to list a moment and what's going through right now and what chapter this is, you really have to look at the 
OWE Dragon Gate split win right after Dead or Alive on on May 6th. Shima, T-Hawk, El Lindemann, and Takahiro Yamamura left the company at the same time as as President Okamura retired. So that's kind of the big moment, and we we're and that was half a year ago, and the company's still kind of figuring out what it what Dragon Gate Entertainment is now. So if you really want to like think of a moment, that's the most recent one. Going back into the past, really. Really, an, an important moment to think about is there's two big matches, at least with the unit landscape that's worth talking about. The first one was the Jimmys losing a disbands match against Antios last year, and then the other one was two years before that when Jimmys beat Matt Blanky in a unit disbands match. And the reason why I bring those both up is that Jimmys was the longest tenured unit of Dragon Gate at the time. Jimmy's consisted of Susumu Yokosuka, Kagatora, Ginki Horiguchi, Ryo Saito, Kness, and Yuzushi Kanda. And that was it. basically the time period that they existed, which was late 2012 into 2017, really was the Jimmy's era of Dragon Gate. So that's a really important match. It was after a long a long period of time where there was a league that was ascent, that was trying to decide which unit was the strongest unit, which unit was the weakest unit, and it seemed like that Jimmy's was the unit that would never disband, and then they suddenly disbanded, and we're still kind of in the after effects of that. I mean, nearly everyone from that unit now has someone, it now has a place to go to. I mean, the last the, the last big move was when Susumu and Gihiroguchi formed natural vibes with with kz so that's a big moment the other one was mad blanky losing to the jimmies and having to disband that's a really big moment because it's the only time that a heel unit has actually lost a disband's match legitimately legitimately and and what happened before that was basically the heel units would not lose the span matches they would usually turn on each other and then create a new unit in its place except for Deep Drunkers threw a match to disband after they turned on someone. So the fact that a heel unit outright disbanded, lost a disband match, was pretty important. So the three major moments are the split that happened after Kobe, after, uh, sorry, after Dead or Alive this year, the Jimmy's disbands match, and then the Mad Blanky disbands match. Closing out this episode, I wanted to talk about what's coming up next for Dragon Gate. There are two more shows that will be on the Dragon Gate Network this month. There is a Kobe Sambo Hall show on the 23rd, and the first of three shows in Hokkaido at the Suzukino Mars Gym on the 30th. Those two will be live on the DG Network. Uh, there's only there's no cards out for these shows yet. There'll probably be one within the next two weeks. The only show that has matches signed coming up is the December 4th Korokin show where there is the Open the Dreamgate title match between Masato Yoshino and Pac and the singles match between UT and Shun Skywalker. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Open the Voice Gate. Thank you again for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. You can subscribe and rate to us on the podcast app of your choice. Until next time, thank you very much for listening.
In a world of one million wrestling podcasts, there is a new shining star with great interviews, analysis, music, and, and me, Matt Coon, on total engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.